Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, come on, LifePoint Church. So good to see all of you here this morning. For those of you worshiping with us online, welcome, welcome, welcome. I don't know about you guys, but I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Who's excited? Y'all guys gave me more praise than Jesus, man. What's up with that? We got some issues here. My name is Andrew Garcia. If we've never met, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church. And if you can tell, I'm already in like vacation mode, bro. I'm letting it all grow. It's all going to be a good old time. Um, But over the last several weeks, we have been in our series, Summer on the Mount, walking through the teachings of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount. And so if you missed last week, if you've missed any of the weeks, please go back, check them out. Podcast, SoundCloud, you know, whatever you like to listen to, we've got it there, YouTube, so don't miss that. Go back and check them out. They're really, really good, and just to make sure we're all on the same page today, um, I want to kind of just do a reset. Jesus has been inviting followers, spiritual investigators, to grow in kingdom character, and he's challenging his audience to not get caught up in a movement of religious showmanship, but to grow in right relationship with God and in right relationship with others. Someone say, with God and others. So speaking about God's kingdom to real people within real culture. So he's calling us to reconsider who God is and what his desires are for his creation. And so Jesus' message in his sermon is that God is our father who sees and cares about the heart. Not, not just external deeds and religion. God isn't looking for people who just abide by a law. God wants and yearns for real relationship. And so the Sermon on the Mount, you could call this Jesus' manifesto. It encapsulates core teachings and reveals the heart of God and his character, outlining values and ethics and principles that define life in God's kingdom presenting this compelling vision for a new world. He's giving us timeless truths and transformative practices for those who don't just hear what he says, but actually do what he says. So how does this new world come about? Well, we want to start today by turning to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. Are you ready? It's God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is a powerful verse here. And what I can't get over every time I read God's word is that God is so intentional about his design and delivery. It's not just about the words he chooses, but also how he presents them to us that remind me that God is all about and all in the details. You see, in the preceding verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is addressing the issue of judging others. 
he warns against hypocritical judgment and encourages self-examination. In other words, to bring about some self-awareness before trying to correct others. And here we find Jesus emphasizing our need to exercise and to embrace humility, the need that we have to remove the log from our own eye before attempting to remove the speck in somebody else's. Then following verses 7 through 11, in Matthew 12, Jesus teaches on the golden rule. And we've all heard this before, right? Do unto others. Not a trick question. Do unto others. Gosh, it's okay. It's okay. I forgive you. I know I'm the one that's going on vacation. No worries. So in everything that you do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? The principle of treating others with love and kindness is an echoing theme all throughout God's word. It's showing us his generosity and inviting believers to extend the same grace and mercy that we receive from him to others. In our interactions, in our words, in the way that we live. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 23, Jesus dives into a teaching on discernment of true and false prophets and disciples. And so here we are asking the same question. How do we go about this? You see, Jesus didn't say don't judge. He was saying learn to judge rightly. And don't just judge rightly. Love others as you love yourself. And he doesn't just say don't, don't just coast through life. Choose the life you want to live. But be careful how you live because there are false prophets and false disciples all around you. And I want you to be one who proves himself true in your faith through the life that you live. So how can you be someone who judges rightly, love others well, lives life to the full, and at the same time avoids those who could be attempting to lead you astray? This is why Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What is Jesus trying to tell us here? That each and every one of us needs to be a believer who prays. I know, anticlimactic, right? But how important is this simple truth? To live a life of right judgment, proper discernment, and love does not come from you. It flows down from God through you. It flows down and then works its way out. And Jesus is encouraging us to embrace a proactive and persistent approach to our relationship with God. You see, the language that's being used in this verse has been written in a present imperative, meaning continuous action. Prayer is not supposed to be a one and done. It's intended to be continual. And for so many of us, this is the first bump in the road. Because if we were honest, our prayer life is inconsistent at best and non-existent for most. Come on. It's okay to teach and preach at the same time. God's desire today is to stir something up in us, and we need to lean in and let God's word do its work. Because I wish that we could offer a good excuse for not praying, but the truth is there isn't one. And, and maybe you can relate to this struggle too because often I find myself neglecting prayer because I'm drawn to things that would, that would entertain me and please me. 
right? Streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, which is of the devil, Apple TV. I'm just kidding, kind of. These things become our go-to distractions, right? They fill up our time when we could have been investing it in relationship, in conversation with God. Like, like how often have you pulled out your phone to look at the gossip that's on Facebook or to make fun of the ragers that are on Twitter? Because there's a lot of them, and it's funny. But I'm messed up. You guys are holy. It's okay. I see. <laughs> and and you wouldn't, wouldn't you know that two minutes turns to hours, and hours turn to days, and days turn to week, and then before you know it, your whole entire year has been spent indulging in mindless entertainment. And then, and then have you ever done what I do to try to rationalize it? We catch ourselves trying to convince ourselves, I'm just so busy, God understands. But were we? Or were we too busy not prioritizing what mattered most? Not using our time wisely as we should? Then, quite honestly, there are these moments where I don't, I don't feel the need to pray because life is good enough. I don't perceive any urgent needs, and so I become complacent and comfortable in my circumstances and fail to recognize my constant need to be connected to God. And if I was real honest, there are times when I don't pray because doubt has just crept in, and I wonder if my prayers actually make any difference at all. I struggle to grasp the impact of my positions and question whether God is willing to hear my cries that come from my heart. And I know these don't all encompass all of the reasons why we don't pray, but I think these are pretty significant in all of our lives, why prayer seems to fall short. And yet you and I both know that prayer is both essential and transformative for our lives. It's a lifeline that we need to embrace rather than neglect. And, and you know what I realized this week? During a, quiet, a, a time of just quiet reflection and solitude with God's word, I, I came to this profound realization that my prayerlessness is a form of pride. My prayerlessness is a form of pride. When I neglect to pray, I am conveying to God that I can handle all of life and the things in it on my own. That God, I don't need your help I have control. And it's no wonder that when we really come to moments that we need him, it feels like he doesn't respond because I've unknowingly or knowingly been pushing him away, sending the message that, God, I don't need you, I got this. Because what have I been telling God for days, for weeks, for months? Things are in my control. This sheds light on a deeper issue within me. Because when I do pray, my prayers often revolve around asking God to grant my desires. And I was thinking about why it is that we do this, and I landed on the reality that when I hear that God is a good father who gives good gifts, I envision those gifts so often as material possessions. I think about the gifts that I want rather than the gifts that I need. I think Daddy God is about to gift me a Lambo, a Porsche, a fat stack, that hottie with a body, the rung on a ladder, more success, the gift. We think of gift in terms of acquiring more goods, don't we? Come on, you know it's true. 
We begin to expect that God is about to bestow upon us a lavish lifestyle and worldly, worldly success and all the things that society deems as, as, a, as attainable and desirable. And in doing so, we've missed, we've missed the heart of what Jesus was trying to say. Because this isn't what Jesus meant. Matthew who bore witness to these teachings is trying to communicate to us the significance of prayer and the need for continuous communication, communion with God. Instead of approaching prayer with this transactional mindset, he wants us to understand the true gift that God offers us, his loving presence, his guidance, and a transformation that happens within our heart. And what we can miss in Matthew's account is so much easier to see in other accounts, which is why looking at the gospel side by side helps us really understand where Jesus was trying to point the conversation. So turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to go through verses 1 through 13. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. That was weak. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just, just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, say. Now we've heard this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said, Jesus gives us the principle, and now he's about to punctuate it with a story. Okay? It's important. Then Jesus said to them, suppose that you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already closed and locked, and my children and I are in bed. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, is he going to give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you see what Luke has recorded for us? I want us to break this down. Because you see, in the Middle East, hospitality was a sacred duty, right? Loving others well was a sacred duty because every person was made in the image of God that made, that made every person sacred. So it isn't just enough to provide the bare minimum. It was expected that you would provide in ample abundance the need of your guest, and so Jesus presents us with a really embarrassing situation. A traveler arrives at his friend's home at midnight, and the home that he has arrived at doesn't have what he needs, meaning the homeowner can't fulfill the sacred obligation 
of hospitality. The situation is urgent. It doesn't matter what time of day. The homeowner now goes out to borrow from his friend who is tucked in for the night. And, and homes back then are not like the monsters that we have now. Like families were packed into tiny spaces like sardines. <laughs> they slept together all to get warmth and security, and it wouldn't even be uncommon for them to bring all of their livestock into the home with them to keep them safe. So knocking on someone's door at this hour is super convenient, right? If you have a dog and someone knocks on your door, what does your dumb dog do? <laughs> it's annoying. But then think about when you just put your kid to sleep and someone rings your doorbell after you just laid the kid down. How do you feel? You want to slap a brother. <laughs> Jesus is painting a picture for us to step into. The one who is determined to receive doesn't knock once and walk away, even though they're inconveniencing the person they're asking. They knock until they get what they have come for. Persist in petition. Because if a friend can be coerced into giving into one's need because of shameless persistency, how much more will God, who loves us more than we could possibly imagine, be willing to supply our needs? And if you who are evil, right, because how many of you guys know we got some brokenness in us? You ain't that pretty or perfect. That hurt. But if you who are evil know how to provide for your own children, how much more will God who is perfect in all his ways and in love be willing to provide for you and for me? This is not a story about prying what we need from the hands of an unwilling father. It's about intensity, persistency, and sincerity of our prayer to God who is our father a father who knows our needs better than we know them ourselves and whose heart is towards us in generosity, in mercy, in grace, in love. And what's so important for us to understand in this passage is the gift that Luke specifies for us. And it's almost like he's asking us to consider how great is the gift that God has given you? What was the gift? The Holy Spirit his Holy Spirit, that he would put his own spirit in us to anchor us and remind us that we don't need to go out searching for him. He is closer to us than the very air that we breathe. What is the good gift? What is the gift given? The Holy Spirit, God's presence in us, given to empower us to live out the very values and vision that Jesus is talking about within the Sermon on the Mount. It's God in us, through the sacrifice in life modeled by Jesus that allows us to live a life of right judgment, proper discernment, and love that doesn't come from us, but that flows through us from God by a spirit gifted to us. And this is where it gets good. Because when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, Jesus gives them an outline to follow. We know it. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. But then what we find in, in Luke's rec record is Jesus takes it one step further. Then Jesus tells them what to do. He gives them a plan to put into practice. And this is the genius of Jesus. You see, Jesus gives us the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Now let's take a trip back to elementary school, okay? And I know for some of us that's a really long time. Just kidding, I'm a young blood. But think about this. 
Remember the five W's? I guess not. The five W's, who, what, when, where, and? We're paying attention. You guys passed. There's actually six if you're counting, but hey, we don't like to count things. These are essential questions used in gathering information and problem solving. That's what we were taught. It's not just for journalism and for investigations. What Jesus is saying is you also use this method for guess what? Prayer. And here's the breakdown. Who's the focus? God, our loving Father. What are we praying for? His kingdom come, meaning his will be done. When? All the time. Morning, noon, and night. Whenever we need anything, which brings us to the where, anywhere, because of any time. The specific time or place doesn't matter. Why? Because we have genuine needs and our Father loves us deeply. And then it comes to the how. And that's what Jesus has been walking us through. Ask, seek, and knock. So simple and yet so profound. Because Jesus has just given us the ultimate prayer playbook. He's showing us how to put prayer into practice, giving us the solution to our own prayer problem. Because prayer is not without a plan. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. Prayer isn't without a plan. There is a progression that Jesus is inviting us into, a three-step process that establishes, expands, and allows us to experience a faith that transforms us from the inside out. Ask, seek, knock, because we ask to receive, seek to find, and knock to open. A life of faith involves asking, seeking, and knocking, and it's the application of all three with urgency and persistence in that progression that bring about true and deep faith. And the thing is, a lot of us, when you come to faith for the first time, when you're following Jesus and you don't know where to start, Jesus is asking us to start by asking. Jesus asks us to start by asking. He is inviting us into a conversation with God that will lead to a relational experience. You see, as, as I've been getting ready for my sabbatical, I've been really just trying to slow down and reflect. And I've been thinking more and more about who it is that I am, why I am the way that I am, because some of you who know me know that I'm a lot, and how to continue to grow into who it is that God intends and has made me to be. Because I don't know if you realize this, but until the day we take our last breath, God's work is not done in you. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's a plan and a purpose for your life with every breath that you take. And all that I am comes from the experiences that I have that all started, believe it or not, with an ask. Like growing up, my dad used to do a lot of odd jobs to help bring more money to the table so our family could experience the things that he never got to experience. Like you name it, Marco was willing to try it. Like need a wall patched, want new tile on the floor, need your roof fixed, gotta change that oil, Marco, Marco, he's your man. If he can't do it, to be honest, a professional can, but it's going to be more expensive. <laughs> and it might not seem impressive except that my dad didn't grow up with a father figure in his life. He didn't have someone who could model to him what fatherhood and by extension what manhood was supposed to look like. He didn't have someone to show him how to lay tile, 
how to change oil. He had to be willing to risk failure to learn for himself. But he didn't let his story become my story. Because I know that my dad prayed, asking God, his father, how to be the dad he didn't have, but he knew that I needed. And his urgent and persistent asking of God allowed him to be the answer that I as a child could have never known that I needed. As my loving father, he invited me into relationship with him by asking me to join him in experiences, laying tile, changing the brakes on a car, installing installation, which is literally from hell. (laughs) Experiences that weren't about being more productive because he could have painted faster, laid the tile quicker, and he could have gotten the tools to change the brakes so much faster than me coming alongside to helping him. But it was my dad's ask that revealed a need to me I didn't know I had. Provision of understanding. Provision of perspective that I didn't know I needed until I encountered something I didn't anticipate and then turned to him because I expected him to have the answer. His ask of me was about connection and experience that I needed in order for me to recognize how much we needed each other and mattered to one another. His ask of me gave me permission to make an ask of him to receive something that I needed, a relationship with my father. Don't miss it. Do you see the parallel? The ask was not so that I could gain more experience, though I needed that. It wasn't so I could be more self-sufficient, though the experience taught me that. Jesus is asking us to embrace, is asking us, because it is within communication and connection when heart finds heart and we can experience a God who loves us. And Jesus is saying, let me be so very clear to you. You have a father who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And when you ask, you will receive more than you anticipated in real relationship. This teaching goes beyond merely hearing about God's promises or knowing the right words to say in prayer. Jesus is inviting us into real relationship with God our Father in a personal and intimate way that as we begin to encounter him, we learn our desperate need for him. But you can only ask and receive when you seek to find. Because seeking is about seeing. Seek means to attempt to learn something through careful investigation or searching. A desire to have to experience something or to attain something from someone. Seeking is asking plus acting. It's earnest petition coupled with an active pursuit to fulfill needs. And have you noticed that when you seek something, you rearrange your priorities so that what you're searching for, that you can find what it is that you're searching for. And not only that, but you suddenly begin to see things that you weren't seeing before. You notice this? Like remember when you were looking to buy that new car and suddenly it was like the state of Texas gifted everyone the Toyota Tundra 1794? It's like, where did all these come from? You weren't looking for it. And now that you're seeking it, you see it everywhere where you didn't expect to see it. 
because your eyes are more intentional to see what you're intending to see. Seeking allows me to, seeking what I expect to receive allows me to find God in places I might not have anticipated, pushing me to work in ways that I need but didn't know. Seeking requires me to have an active mind, to have intentional living. It's work, but it's work intended to be done with God. It reaffirms the relational nature of our faith. An active engagement with God brings about a deeper understanding of His ways and helps us to experience His presence within our present as we seek God through prayer, study His word, worship, learn to surrender well to Him, we grow in spiritual maturity and we draw closer to Him. Seeking is about seeing the world the way that God sees the world because if it's really God, your kingdom come, your will be done, then it's not how my eyes perceive the world but how the world is working out God's divine plan. And the challenge for so many of us is that we have to learn to examine our heart and our motivations when we're seeking God. Am I seeking Him with genuine sincerity or am I simply looking to satisfy my own desires, to fulfill my own ambitions? Jesus invites us to seek God wholeheartedly, knowing that He delights in revealing Himself to those who come to Him with pure intentions. Remember what Jesus has been saying. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all the needs that you have, the wants that you hope for will be provided to you. But seeking God's kingdom means putting God's plan before our own. Seeking God's righteousness means setting priority on having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Asking, seeking, leads to the door that I need to be knocking on that God is willing to open. For a moment, I just, I want you to imagine a door and to make it easy, just imagine your front door. Okay, do you, do you have the image in your head? What is the function of that door? Practically, the door provides access and facilitates transition between the spaces on either side of it. It's a boundary set up for privacy and security that can be opened or closed as you please. Now, why do we do this? To control the flow of people, of information. It helps regulate our environment. It contributes to comfort and connection within the home. But more than what the door does functionally, what does the door represent? It's a passage. Like, think about it. When you come home, you could have had the worst day and you step into your home and suddenly your discomfort becomes comfort. Your insecurity finds security. All the chaos that you were dealing with, struggling with, when you sit down on your own couch, suddenly you feel what? At ease. The door represents transformation, change, growth that happens on the other side of it. It's a threshold of knowledge, of experience between one world and the next. And the function of the door goes beyond its practical application. Philosophically, doors serve powerful purposes. They're symbols of opportunity, transition, transformation, discovery, inviting us to explore new possibilities 
to embrace change, to open ourselves up to growth and new experiences. The act of opening a door signifies the willingness to step out of what is known and step into the unknown and embrace a journey of life with all of its challenges and opportunities. And what has been the focus of the Sermon on the Mount? That there is a new life that you can have, there is new life that you can live, but it only comes through the door of Jesus. Asking, seeking, knocking is about transformation found through a life of prayer in relationship to a king whose kingdom is unfolding. A kingdom that has come from heaven to earth that we can all be citizens of if we choose. And prayer is the place where I encounter God and where God will change me as I seek him consistently, continually over time. Faith was never intended to be one day. Faith is more than just saying, I believe. And if you're new to faith, if you've been following Jesus for some time and it started by saying, I believe, but your prayer and your relationship stopped and ended there because you don't spend any time with God, is it any wonder why you don't see God moving in your life today? Jesus is trying to show us that an invitation to prayer is an invitation to allow God's gift given to us, his presence within us, to go to work and to change us, encouraging us, challenging us, rewiring our experiences from the inside out so we can see the life and life abundant that God has all around us. Ask, seek, knock. This is the plan of prayer. The question is, what will you do about it now? Will you bow your heads? I want to pray over us. Heavenly Father, your presence, God, is right now. It's here in this space. God, you have settled on this room. And God, you see each and every person. And Lord, what I know is that there is no one, God, that is here by accident. It is no coincidence, God, that we would be in this room, that we would be tuning in on a podcast, that we would be watching online. God, you have met us in this place today to remind us that the life that we need comes from and through you. And so, God, I pray, Lord, right now, God, those of us who are experiencing such a tough season, and we've been asking, God, for all of the wrong things. God, seeking, Lord, in all of the wrong places and knocking on all the wrong doors because your spirit, God, is not active and moving and alive within us. It's your spirit, God, that gives us eye, your eyes to see, that guides our steps, that allows us, God, to make right decision, to have discernment in whatever situation, in whatever circumstance, with whatever trouble that we face right now. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to stir something up in us, God. That we would have a hunger, God, to know you more, to pursue you, God, wholeheartedly, desperately, God, in prayer. That we would seek after relationship with you and that that relationship, God, we know is experiential. You begin to move and breathe all around our world. God, give us the eyes to see that you are the way, you have made the way. 
And as we ask and seek and knock, as we take steps of faith, God, let your word prove true because your promise can be trusted. You're holy and you're worthy and your love for us, God, is overwhelming and it's so rich and it's so great and it's so deep. And right now in this moment, God, I pray that you would help, help us, God, to take hold of the plan and put it to work in our life, not one time, but day in and day out because you're inviting us into something so much more than what we have now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.